do you do family devotions or does everyone in the family uh, do personal devotions what does family devotions look like where you are that'll help us get a handle on who we're talking to and how people are thinking about family devotions we are going to start off by speaking this morning on the state of our nation uh, we on a weekly basis talk about pressing national issues uh, and think through how Christians respond to these things and what's happening uh, in a kind of national framework. This morning we will be talking to Daniela uh, Elebeck. She is from an organization called 4SA, Freedom of Religion South Africa, which is a legal advocacy organization working to protect and promote the constitutional rights to religious freedom in South Africa. Daniela, are you on the line with us? I am, Mark. Thank you for that very amazing introduction. Well, it's lovely to have you. Um, I, I do I do look forward every single Friday to talking to you guys. I, I, I feel like I'm more informed since I started hosting this show because for the first time I get to speak to people that are really speaking to the big guns and I'm looking forward to having that conversation uh, that you as an organization had with the uh, presidency uh, later on in the show but but let's just start off by by just recapping some of the ground that we covered last week regarding the judicial conduct commission uh, committee's decision that chief justice uh Mukhang must apologize for his remarks on the israel palestinian situation uh, which was made during a webinar hosted by the jerusalem post uh, tell us just a little bit more about that for any uh, listeners that weren't listening in last week. Well, Mark, perhaps the best place to start is by explaining who and what this Judicial Conduct Committee that we're hearing about is. Now, the purpose of this committee is to receive, consider, and deal with complaints against judges. So, in other words, it's the committee's job to decide whether a judge has violated the law or broken the judicial code of conduct. Now, this code of conduct is the prevailing criterion for judicial conduct, which all judges must comply with. And what happened in this case is that the Judicial Conduct Committee made its decision at the beginning of the month, um, on the 4th of March, in respect of the complaints received against Chief Justice Mukwen Mukwen from Africa for Palestine, the SABDS Coalition, and the Women's Cultural Group, respectively. Now, in terms of this decision by the committee, the Chief Justice had 10 days to apologize. According to the law, he can also decide to appeal um, the Judicial Conduct Committee's decision within a month. Now, this seems to be the route that he has decided to follow from what we can see in the news, is that he has decided to rather appeal the decision. So what exactly then did the Judicial Committee say? So the important thing to note is that the case is only about whether the Chief Justice violated the Code of Conduct or not. And the charge was laid that he had violated it by engaging in political controversy in circumstances where it wasn't necessary for him to become involved in the controversy in order to do his job as a judge. Now, what is important is that the Conduct Committee did not have an issue with the Chief Justice's statement that he loves Israel or that he prays for the peace of Israel or that he has a Christian cannot do otherwise. But the problem was the Chief Justice's criticism of the South African government's 
foreign policy towards Israel. So his criticism of the executive arm of the government um, and its policy towards Israel, and his suggestion that there was an alternative or better approach to the government. Now, what made it particularly concerning was that the criticism took place on an international platform the evening before the government's official presentation of its statement on the Israeli-Palestinian situation to the UN Security Council. And as a result of this, or in light of this, the Judicial Conduct Committee found that the Chief Justice's comments in this regard, and in this specific context, was a breach of the rule in the code which prohibits judges from commenting on political matters. And I just want to highlight for listeners that the purpose of this rule is to protect the independence of the judiciary, um, not for judges themselves, but for litigants who need to have confidence that judges approach their matters with an open, unbiased, um, yeah, and, and, you know, not a prejudicial mind. So it was as a result of all of the above that the Conduct Committee decided that the Chief Justice had violated the code and in light of which they directed him, um, you know, to apologize. So basically, this is going to stay in the news cycle for another, I mean, I'm just guessing here, but two weeks, he's got a, he's got a month in order to respond. So yes, he's got a month from the 4th of March, so that will take us to the 4th of April for him to appeal the decision, um, because he had 10 days, so to the 14th of March, um, to apologize, but from what we can see in the news, it, it appears that he has decided to appeal instead. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I found this whole kind of um, uh, scenario, this debacle, or whatever one wants to call it, really, really helpful because it kind of has brought the judiciary a little bit closer to my, to my, to my sphere. Yeah, so that I, I've I've been forced to kind of understand just how the wheels of justice actually do turn and uh, who's related to who and and how mm. things work. It's been kind of helpful from that perspective. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of this runs out. <laughs> um, you guys met with the president, and when I say you guys, I'm I'm talking about a, a large group of Christians. If I if I understand correctly, I met with the president, but. But uh, Nadine got to actually address the president. Were you in the meeting? Did you get to shake his hand? Was it on Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first things first. Yeah. Um, it was an interface meeting, so okay. it wasn't just Christian. Okay. It was a virtual meeting, and um, so no one got to shake his hand, unfortunately. Ah. Uh, like, slap his toe, you know, it's coronavirus. Do, do virtual <laughs> meetings even count? I'm only kidding. Of course they do. Uh, and it must, I mean, it, uh, it's a great honor to have been invited, I, I, I have no doubt, uh, and to get the opportunity to engage with the highest echelons of government. No, and it's something we're very grateful for, and we're very grateful for, you know, everyone, um, the constituency that voice they represented, which allowed us to get a seat at the table for actually backing us and saying, okay, no, we're with you in this. Mm. Um, so, yes, President Ramaphosa's meeting with uh, the interstate leaders took place on Thursday evening, and voice A was invited by the president's office to attend. Cool. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and, and kind of like, yeah, what was the, what was the feedback from the meeting? Well, as you said, um, our legal counsel, Advocate Barnhorst, attended, and her feedback was that it was very positive, um, with some very open and frank discussions taking place in a very good spirit um, about the COVID-19 regulations, especially in light of the upcoming religious holidays of the Easter, um, as well as the approach of winter. 
And she said that by and large, most religious leaders on the call agree that they are asking government to open up religious gatherings to 50% of the capacity of the venue. Mm. And the submissions that um, Forest A made, or that Advocate Bonhoeff made on behalf of Forest A and on behalf of the constituents who represent, um, to the president was, you know, highlighting that we wanted to work with government, not against it, but that we are appealing to government to please not place any more restrictions on religious gatherings than what we have in place right now. And that people of faith want to obey the law, um, but they also want to obey their faith. So please don't put people in a difficult position where they have to choose which one to obey. Mm. Um, And she also requested the president to appeal to the police to employ restraint to avoid any semblance of police brutality. Now, the outcome of the meeting was that the president will be conveying the input received from the religious leaders to the National Coronavirus Command Council, who will consider the input and thereafter make a decision. Sure. Uh, I mean, obviously, this is really where the rubber hits the road for many faith-based organizations, uh, churches included, and certainly for our church. Um, you know, how to be faithful to God and yet at the same time to honor God by honoring the government uh, in a way which doesn't bring the name of Christ into disrepute, mm-hmm. uh, which holds the value that we see in government up high, but at the same time doesn't impinge on the imperatives that we have to serve <laughs> our, our communities faithfully and, and, and employ our faith. It, it really is tricky. I'm so glad that you guys were able to make submissions. Looking forward to a time when all of this is behind us, but at the same time, um, do trust that the Lord God will continue to bless um, our government and our leaders with wisdom, because I have no doubt they need lots and lots of wisdom right now, and that certainly is our prayer. No, I can I can echo that. Um, I mean, we're commanded to pray for government, and I think it's such a tricky um, space that they have to navigate. So um, we can definitely they need all the prayer they can get, like you said. Sure. Where, where, where can listeners find out more about issues that affect religious freedoms in South Africa? Well, if they want to find out more about religious freedom and the work that Forest Aid does to protect and promote it, um, we can refer them to our website at www.forsa.org.za. Um, and then they can also find, um, they can also find, uh, they can, you know, um, join Forest as an organization or make a donation. And they can also find um, Advocate Barnold's video with the feedback from the meeting. Um, we'll be loading that soon. And then, of course, they can also follow us on social media at Facebook at Freedom of Religion as well. Well, it really has been a pleasure um, chatting to you, and uh, thank you so much uh, for engaging with us on issues of the nation and national importance. Really appreciate that, Daniela. Thank you for the opportunity, Mark. Uh, we're the ones who appreciate it. <laughs> God bless. Cheers. Well, listeners, we now come to a part of the show which will really stretch for the next hour and a half as I engage with Michael as well as Teppo, God willing, if he is on Zoom, around issues of family discipleship. We, we're going to be talking about discipleship, I guess. Uh, generally, we, we, we're going to have a rolling conversation uh, with Michael on these matters. Um, listener, as you, as you are beginning to you know change gears and think about areas of discipleship, particularly as it relates 
to your home life and to your home life environment, whether you are a father, a head of a home or a mother, um, maybe even acting in the spiritual head of the home in the absence of, of, of the head of the home. If you are a child in terms of wondering how to relate to the structures that are above you, um, all these kinds of issues affect each and every one of us. What I would like to see um, is healthier families, um, healthier believers who are growing in the Christian faith, who are uh, on a firm foundation and who are strengthened. And I realize that all of us actually are in the same process of growing in our knowledge and in our love of Jesus Christ, never mind where we are in that spiritual progression. Um, And one of the ways that God has given us, one of the means of grace that God has given us is the family and the opportunity to be discipled within the context of the home. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We would very much like you to engage if you've got questions on the topic. Uh, Questions might come up as Michael and I, together with Tepo, are talking. And so um, I want to give you the opportunity to come in and to engage with us. You might want to take down these contact details so that you can do just that. On Facebook, we are currently live streaming on the Radio Pulpit Facebook page, the Radio Console Facebook page. Uh, On Twitter, you can tweet us um, and the tweet handle is at 657am and we are also available and can take both whatsapps and telegrams the number there is 082-657-2729 we are looking forward to hearing from you let's start off by just uh, uh, you and I chatting uh, Michael describe the family uh, where God has placed you, um, uh, you introduce us to to the Lears. Uh, yeah, I'm the f- husband of Stacy. Uh, we've been married for 12 years next month, and uh, the Lord's blessed us with uh, four children uh, Jonathan, who turned 10 this last Wednesday, uh, Misha, who is eight, Lizzie, who is six, and Roger, who is four. Wow. So, yeah, so those, those are my tribe. Cool. That's a is that a quiver? That's a quiver full of arrows. That's a whole lot of arrows, brother. <laughs> Blessings from above. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So uh, married for twelve years. Um, when you got married, were you a believer? Were you and Stacy believers? Um, uh, what was your? Uh, how, how did you come to faith? When did you come to faith? Came to faith at a at a young age. Um, and uh, again, my parents were very influential in my coming to faith. Um, in fact, my sister, who's three years older than me, came to know the Lord uh, through Sunday school ministry at uh, at the church that we were then at, uh, Rosebank Union Church. Okay. And um, yeah, I just I began to see the difference that the Lord Jesus made in her life. How old was she at the time? Seven. Wow. So I was four, and yeah, just the dynamics in our home and my relationship with my sister were changing to the point where I came and even asked my mom as a four-year-old, like, I know I'm going to be the last Christian in our home, but what does that mean? Yeah. And my mom explained the gospel to me, and I said, I know all that, but what does it mean? Yeah. Like, I, I just couldn't comprehend. I mean, I can still remember yes. um, that, that that question. Eventually, my mom just said, you go and pray, and I'll be praying for you. And it was two weeks later 
Um, at the age of four? At the age of four, yeah. Just wow. convicted of my sin, came to my mom, 7th of April, 1987, yes. and uh, just said, um, I need Jesus to be my Savior. Wow. And uh, I mean, I remember those early days. I, I burnt with a desire just to tell other people about Jesus. Um, I remember even being invited to a sleepover and asking the, the mom on the way, because my friend wasn't in the car with me and she had picked me up after work and I said, does uh, does Darren know Jesus? Yeah. And she says, yes, he does. And I'm like, oh, I was really looking forward to telling him about Jesus. You know, I, I've kind of even got a got a sense of righteous jealousy. Um, just the idea of coming to faith at such an early age and, and all the advantages that come with that um, in terms of uh, exposure to God's word and, and exposure to disciplines of grace, like walking a faithful line over a very long period of time. I came to, I came to faith much later in life um, as in my early 20s. And whilst God is providential in the timing yeah. and uh, trust his sovereign will and plan uh, I do think of the just the real advantages of of coming to faith at an early age and the protection of a testimony as well that that I, I have no doubt affords um, a four-year-old who was burning to share their faith mm. um, you know I spoke this week to a teenager uh, who may very well have come to faith uh, in the last two weeks, and I spoke to an an adult, uh, uh, maybe in the in the mid sixties uh, or early sixties, who had come to faith in the last six months, and and both of them expressed the same thing. Um, uh, the the sixty year old said, "Please, um, when can I get out and win souls? Yeah. How can I go about doing it?" And the teenager sat at a at a, a, a supper table and wept openly. Um, just in a desire to see friends one to Christ. Um, amazing how how God does, uh, particularly at the beginning of salvation. Then and then, I mean, I mean, for me, <laughs> the whole way through my Christian walk. But give us this desire to see others saved, mm-hmm. and starts that. What does that look like in a four-year-old's life? And what did that look like as you were growing up, going through teens, twenties? How old are you now, Michael? Like 65 in terms of wisdom, but yeah. 38. You're 38, okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what has the last 34 years looked like in terms of your faith and in terms of your journey? I've been blessed with parents who, I was born on the mission field in, in Kenya. My parents were missionaries in Kenya, so I don't remember much because we moved back to South Africa when I was only 18 months. But uh my parents have always had a strong desire to serve the Lord and, and really been committed members. I mean, even presently uh, hearing from their pastor how, you know, just and, and from others in the church, how uh, committed they are, um, even as older saints uh, to the fellowship of believers. Uh, my parents hosted a Bible study in their home. And so, yeah, I remember even in the times when my parents failed, uh, the, the role of a pastor in our home. Uh, the role of other saints who were coming into the home. I mean, really, uncles and aunts in the faith who were invested in me, and I knew they cared for me. And I always remember, as a teenager particularly, I always thought my testimony is quite boring because I came to know the Lord so early. And yet now I look back on it and I treasure what the Lord did for me and the security that I had in growing up in a a local church um, where there were just these wonderful family relationships amongst the saints um, in caring for one another and helping one another and even witnessing friends who would come to Sunday school but then never stay for church 
uh, th- their lack of that connectedness and firm foundation in mm. the faith um, because they were only actually ever exposed to uh, ministry in the church on their own age group level, yes. which also informs my present ministry, just in wanting to see the body of Christ functioning as a family of God yes. um, in love for one another and in looking out for one another. And yeah, so... What did what did then did discipleship actually look like mm. practically when you were growing up mm. in your in your teens? Because I'm I'm guessing. Well, I mean, I'm not making an assumption, but I'm I'm guessing that in your own home, maybe it looks slightly different. Um, but it might give us a, a feel for for different ways that families disciple children. It wasn't perfect, but yes. I, I really appreciated parents who really did desire to do all that they could in service of the Lord, especially for their children. Yes. And so my dad uh, was subscribed to Scripture Union devotional material. Yes. And so from that early age, they invested in Scripture Union uh, material for my sister and myself. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have still memories and, and, and love the fact that my dad still is up at like four in the morning to yeah. have his devotions. And I still remember the light on early and my own aspirations to just be like my dad yeah. um, and so wow. we, we had our own individual devotions and those were three month devotionals that my dad would yes. um, subscribe for us and I just and they were always age appropriate and you yes. know moved up in, in age and really did appreciate that and from time to time we had family devotions in the evening in which um, also it was mainly scripture union materials um, and interacting with one another, but that did become more sporadic. As you know, everyone has their own uh, ideal TV programs, and when's the best time, and and those kind of things. So we had many struggles, and sometimes mm. it was it was my sister or myself who would say, "We haven't had family devotions in a long time. When are we going to spend time as family devotions?" And I remember that precious time of praying together. Yes. Um, and, and I remember times in our home where, like, even grace before the meal became a very standard. Wrote, wrote that wasn't much thought over, you know, just thank you, Jesus, for our food, amen. Um, and just growing in the fact that, like, Colin, this, this isn't the Christian life. It's not about getting into rote. It's about mm. living a life um, with the Lord. It's about walking with the Lord daily in life and, and not just setting aside specific time, but, mm. but more than that, walking through the day with the Lord and seizing every opportunity. You know, as you as you're talking, I, I'm caused to remember back to my to my own upbringing, and um, I, I, I'm the I'm the son of a pastor. My dad is an Anglican pastor. Um, my mother, I remember distinctly sharing the gospel with me at a very young age. I, I remember the room. I remember it was before bedtimes. I remember it was part of family prayers. I remember her sharing the gospel over and over again that Jesus died for our sins. And um, those memories certainly flooded back to me later in life um, as I was really confronted overwhelmingly with my sin and my need for a savior. Um, I, I also, just uh, in terms of uh, shared experience with you, um, remember the excitement of Scripture Union material mm. when I was growing up. Uh, I remember them coming in booklets, uh, th- either three-month packs or I think you could buy a one-year pack. And I remember, you know, at certain age groups it would have puzzles in it yeah. and, and it would have stories and a couple of comics. And um, I... I I wasn't saved. Uh, I I hadn't placed my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in any way which bore fruit. Mm. And yet, um, I enjoyed the content and 
certainly the exposure to scripture and the knowledge that that scripture was something that you needed to apply yourself to in order to benefit from that it was gold that needed to be mined was advantageous to me uh, when I did come to faith and and knew that I needed to study scripture and I knew I needed to be devoted uh, to God's word uh, in one way or another yeah interesting shared experience um and and not sure that that kind of material uh, I ha- I certainly haven't been able to make that kind of material available to my kids mm. um as uh, as as they've been growing up we've used other mechanisms uh, in order to expose them uh, to God's word which is which is interesting uh, you know each generation possibly um same intent same desire to see your kids grow up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord uh, and yet going about it in slightly different ways yeah yeah so so then you, you 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 come to faith. You're growing in faith. You um, uh, you you you're reading God's word. You have these positive role models, mentorship relationships in your life. You you spoke about your dad and the light on earlier, and you wanted to grow up and and be like that. Um, at some stage, you decide that you want to become a pastor. Um, how did that work for you? Uh, last week, we were talking about calling uh, with Gideon and Penny, uh, and so uh, just just interested to hear uh, how did that how did that happen? How did that come about? Um, and what impact did that have in terms of your devotions and your devotional relationship uh, as you were going through studies? I know that you graduated from BTC. Yeah. Um so yeah as a as a 16 year old um i i didn't just uh develop a, a love for the lord from the influence of my parents and and from the work of grace that god did in my life but also from my dad developed a great love of sport and putting a lot of emphasis into sport and so as a 16 year old got an opportunity to even play club sport which conflicted very much with attending church on a sunday and I remember as a 16-year-old went through quite a crisis of, of faith in terms of, you know, can I do both? And coming to the realization that, yeah, God was saying I couldn't. Hmm. Uh, I would have to give up sport. Um, and uh, making that decision, that, that was hard. But also I appreciated how the Lord discipled me individually in that a lot of what I became exposed to as a teenager I learned a lot of hard lessons by watching others fall into temptation and be affected by that Mm. Uh, and developing a heart for not wanting to see people wasting these wonderful years that they have. Uh, You know, Psalm 24 tells us the earth is the Lord and everything in it. And it's not just our time and it's not just our resources, but really everything that we have is a gift from God and we are going to give an account to him for the way in which we use it. And that does inform even as a parent, children, everything. But, uh, yeah, just increasingly had a desire. I had the privilege as a seven- or eight-year-old to to, to uh, disciple another friend and uh, pray with him. And yet I remember again that week in just, which... Just, 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 just repeat that again. You had the opportunity as a... Six- or seven-year-old yeah. to, to share with a friend who, who didn't know Jesus, who wasn't in a Christian family. Um, his dad had gone down to run the comrades, and so he spent a week in our house. And I remember distinctly on the Saturday, uh, I just had an outburst of the flesh. I was so selfish. I even like took his bags and wanted to throw them out. And, you know, he must just go like I just felt, you know, yeah, I'd had enough of him. And yet going to church that Sunday, which is something that he had never done before with our family, 
coming home and he was asking a lot of questions and, and discipling him through that and then having the opportunity of actually you know encouraging him to place his faith in Jesus and you know I, I don't know what he did and I, I, I followed a very you know rote uh, way of pray this prayer with me and <laughs> as a, I, I, I as a seven or eight year old yeah. I mean th- this is really important because uh, we're talking about discipleship and I, and I want to start to draw out a definition from you in terms of how you see discipleship but even before we get there I am intrigued by evangelism even from a young age yeah. and the evangelism of new Christians so we've used the analogy of a 60 year old a teenager uh, and now yours as a, a six or a seven year old sharing your faith and and if they are I mean just to the listeners that are listening right now j- just pointing out this this desire that Christians have by default <laughs> when they have truly experienced and tasted and seen that the Lord is good mm. this immediate desire that we have to share that with others um, uh, just if you lack that desire friend as you are listening you need to start praying that God would give it back to you and um, that God would stoke the fires in your heart because nothing less than that is satisfying I I mean Jesus Christ is so great and so wonderful and so magnificent and so stunning to behold that that if we have truly beheld him surely we would want to share Um, and so on the one hand I'm not surprised that a six or seven year old uh, seven or eight year old was sharing their faith but on the other hand it is so surprising in our day and age to hear of people sharing their faith it's like you you feel like you have to kind of um, spend half of your time motivating your people to get out on the streets or to you know get out with tracks or to share their faith with family and friends um, and yet when people truly believe when people have truly put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ this is something that happens I, 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 I love your testimony I think a lot of people take present circumstances for granted. And I remember even as a child, I mean, I couldn't believe that there was another child who didn't know what it was to be going to church. And, you know, just God is their creator and and Jesus is the only savior. Um, You know, I just thought everyone knew this. Yeah. Um, And and so it was. It was a reality that, you know, hold on, like this friend doesn't know. And what amazed me about God's grace is that God used my failure the day before as actually the opportunity to share the gospel with him. Wow. You know, the, the fact that, I still was, still am a yes. sinner, saved yes. only by grace alone. I, I didn't become this perfect person all of a sudden uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. I, I still do sin and I still do fail, and this is why I, I need Jesus. Yes. Um, and and to be able to share that with him, and, and then yeah, the very next birthday, <laughs> at his birthday party, everyone's buying these extravagant gifts, and and I gave him a Bible, and and that was his his best gift. He said. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, from that, even just encouraging him and helping him to read the Bible, uh, trying to invest resources into him. I, I'm not too sure whether I did pass on any Scripture Union um, d- discipleship material, but mm. uh, yeah, just um, tr- trying to help him and going and sleeping over with him and reading the Bible together with him mm. and explaining the gospel more and more. Because, you know, it is important. We, we're not here to make converts. Yes. We are here to make disciples, and that's teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. 
Well, we're going to underline that shortly. We're not here to make converts. We're here to make disciples. And obviously we're thinking of the Great Commission, um, Christ's words to his disciples to go and make disciples, main verb in that sentence. Um, I am going to, we are going to be bringing in Tepo into the conversation just in terms of talking about, well, well, what is discipleship before we start to narrow it down to what is family discipleship? Mm. But based on what you've been talking, you, you've been talking about discipling this young man. You've given some of the ways that you even went about doing it in terms of focused on first content of the gospel, um, uh, explanations on Christ, the going of that making disciples mm. part. Um, and then you started to talk about the Bible and the importance of that, maybe the the teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, part of uh, uh, of that great commission. Um, but Michael, as you as you are thinking about discipleship, just giving uh, Tepo opportunity to also start to think about discipleship. So when we bring him on, he he can talk uh, into the conversation. Um, but what what are you thinking of? What, what what is discipleship at its essence when we when we use that word? It is the following of Jesus Christ, the the trusting in Jesus Christ, um, the the life that God calls us to live, which is to repent of sin and place our faith in him. And I do see that that was not and that is not an event of the past that is a life that we live as Christians, uh, a life marked of repentance from sin and selfishness and doing things my way and and trusting in the Lord with all of my heart not leaning on my own understanding in all of my ways acknowledging him um, and yeah it is it's, it's the denying of oneself taking up your cross and following him as, as Jesus says uh, and and that was what I found to be of most importance in, in, in morning devotions uh, that it was that opportunity to abandon uh, my agenda and my purpose for for the day, and to really seek God's will for that day and God's kingdom, and to then you know even go from my room as as a child and a teenager, uh, ready to interact with my parents and my sister uh, as uh, God's child, mm. not according to my flesh. Toward the image of Christ, a degree by degree, progressive sanctification. You you spoke about your your testimony to your friend, even at the age of six and seven, uh, your testimony to the friend that you are a sinner, you are always in need of a savior, Mm. that God is moving you toward the image of Christ. Uh, Yeah, love that testimony. Tepo, my friend, are you on the line with us? Yes, I am. Hey man, it's great to have you with us this morning. You can you can see us. Yeah, finally. You can see us. I can't see you, but yeah. that but that's okay. I I can hear you, and it's uh and it's good to hear your voice. What's the weather like? What's <laughs> what's to hear you too. what's the weather like in Benoni? In Benoni. It's very sunny, um, and well, I'm not sure if it's hot, but it's sunny. <laughs> this this morning we drove the scenic route uh, to Pretoria, um, kind of like through Bupsfontein and all of that farmland to the east of uh, Pretoria. What a beautiful country! As Amen. the sun is kind of like coming up, and as the the I, I think the wheat fields. I'm not really good when it comes to the identification of staples, but but as the 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 sun hits those wheat fields, they're kind of like in between that green and that golden color, just the absolute glorious beauty of Christ um, of Christ's creation just loved it and uh, always enjoy that route uh, when I've got a friend uh, with me so Michael and I were able to talk about 
church and about life all the way. Um, right now we are talking about church and we're talking about life. We're talking about discipleship. When you when you hear discipleship, Tepo, this is something that you often impress to me. This is like this is like your pet subject. What are we talking about when we're talking about discipleship? So so like you've heard me for the past three weeks. I think in stages, right? <laughs> so when when the word discipleship comes up, um, I think of um, from me to Christ. So discipleship from me to Christ is um, me growing into the likeness of Christ. But then the stage that happens um, before me growing into the likeness of Christ is conversion first. And then from there comes growth. And that's me learning from what Jesus commands us to do. And then um, another another way that I think of discipleship is me as a discipler, um, helping others follow Jesus. And so also discipleship can be seen as a whole process. Um, because when you, when you look at Matthew 28, um, it says, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've um, commanded you. So, so there's a there's a sharing of the gospel, and then after the sharing of the gospel, then people now become disciples. That's when Christianity starts for them, and then we see that in that verse that there's a there's a baptism for the people who are now coming into the faith. And then there's a teaching that happens, and that teaching is for all of the life of that disciple, which is the life of a Christian. Mm, mm. And and that life of a Christian is sometimes um, is sometimes a weak point in many people's exposure of what it means to be a Christian. Um, often at the point of salvation, there are given propositional statements in terms of um, of of what of what a Christian needs to believe. They might put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, but but really the idea of the lordship of Christ and this idea of growth. You use the word growth now, um, flourishing, um, it, it, growing in one's knowledge and then one's application of. Of Christianity is 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 either left out or isn't emphasized, um, and so that then becomes um, becomes a weakness and and an inhibitor in terms of them growing spiritually. Um, for yourself, Tepo, I mean, I've loved interacting with you over a number of years now. How did your growth in the Christian faith start? Um, so so just beyond the point of salvation, how was it that you were introduced? to not just to Christ but to his word and to obedience and to community and to flourishing and growing in the Christian life okay so <laughs> well I, I, I grew up as a church goer well out of obedience to my mother who would never have me at home on a Sunday morning um, so we we then moved house and then isn't it um, isn't it interesting how how instrumental um in all three of our lives um our parents have been and in your and my life particularly our, our mothers have been i mean obviously my dad uh, being a pastor uh, cast a a huge um uh, well shadow sometimes a negative uh, 
connotation my dad's uh, he's excellent um but but uh, an imposing presence in my in my early childhood development um but how when i remember the gospel um just simply spoken at the bedside my my mother's conversation i, I remember that so well I, I know my parents are actually listening to the show they're busy driving up to Gauteng from port elizabeth so hi mom and dad on uh, on radio at the moment um, but sorry, I just interrupted you on that point, yeah. uh, just in terms of the importance of mothers. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, um, we, we moved house, so we went to Annadale. <laughs> now, I think, I think this, was, this, was, this was a blessing um, because what my mother then said is, I'm not going to have kids in the house on a Sunday morning. And she said, well, go around the corner. And when we went around the corner, um, that's where um, I started attending the Evangelical Bible Church. Um, and so that's where I started hearing the gospel um, from Sunday school and then started attending Awana. Then I did, uh, I went to youth and then young adults subsequently. But the, the part where I became saved is actually interesting in its own um in its own sense, because how I became saved was from just me looking or observing a friend's life that had changed. Because I was friends with this guy from um, 2006, yeah, 2006. And then I knew all of the things that he used to do, say, act. And I was like, wait a minute, something's changed here. Mm. And And then he was like, but he would never tell me. So he said to me, come to my house and I'll show you, right? So I went to his house. He gave me a stack of DVDs. And then I remember it was 2008. I was sitting on the couch watching DVDs. So so, so um, there were pastors who were just preaching, like properly expounding the word. And I was stunned. I was like, I've never, ever seen anything like this, right? Well, apart from, um, well, uh, my church at the time but it was graphic it was like this I don't even remember the preacher preaching through Psalm 22 and I was like what <laughs> so I'm not reading my bible and then I get to uh, Romans 10 9 I'm like wait a minute so this is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord um, and that and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved but now I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is, we've been taught John 3 verse 16 all these years from Sunday school. And we've been, we've been, um, believe, we've been saying that we believe in Jesus Christ just out of obedience to our Sunday school teachers. Um, but now I'm like, wait a minute, this means it has to come from me. I need to be the one who believes this. And so um, that's when I became saved. That was in 2008. And then subsequent to that, I never knew um, that after you become saved that this discipleship that happens, I need to be discipled. I need to be shown um, the root or I need to be taught the words of Jesus. So then I became a Christian infant for a very long time. Um, But then I just read my Bible, but the growth wasn't really as evident until a specific time when I was at varsity uh, well, I don't know what God did there, but he definitely did something. So that's when um, I felt the urge or the need to start proclaiming the gospel because 
I was hurt by seeing numbers of um, students coming from home, church backgrounds, um, pro- professing to be Christians, but now they they are given to all sorts of freedom, and there's there's just it's just a whole other things that happens in varsity. So that's what broke my heart initially, and that's when I actually started. Um, having Bible studies to make sure that at least something was going on spiritually in their lives, and so that's that's where the even the growth for me started. And yeah, long story short, uh, called home and told them I don't want to study accounting anymore. I want to go to Bible school. <laughs> yeah, I, I I've heard a couple of pastors of the. Over the past week, we we spoke last week with Gideon and Penny about this call, and just those conversations with parents and friends and spouses regarding um, I no longer feel like I'm on this track. In your case, accounting, and my case, IT, and uh, you you also an accountant. Hey, eh? we have yeah, right. a we have this large group of accountant pastors um, in our in our midst, and just how complex those conversations can sometimes be. Um, yeah, so look, uh, you know, we're coming up for the hour, and at uh, ten o'clock we will have a, a short musical interlude. We've still got a bit of time to go, um, but but as we thinking through that, as we as we as we thinking through discipleship and preparing to shift gears and move towards family devotion, just may, maybe just some um, closing thoughts for this part of the hour, Michael, regarding the the importance of of church and community in terms of that discipleship process um, what is the relationship between being a disciple and being in community I think John Piper said it well that sanctification is a community project mm. And uh, oh you can say that again that's a great quote sanctification is a community project sanctification is a community project I love that and sanctification being holiness being set apart unto God yeah Paul Tripp says it well that we uh, yeah Paul Tripp says it well that we we understand justification and coming to faith and believing the gospel and we understand glorification in terms of uh, going to be with the Lord when Mm. we die or Mm. when he comes for us but often sanctification is a very confusing process and Mm. and we've got to realize this I just I read this last week about how you, you know we love the ideal of the church but do we realize the present reality of the church that we all are at some degree of progressing in sanctification. Mm. Therefore, are we practicing patience and gentleness and humility toward one another, mm. or do we expect a certain level of holiness that we may be excused for ourselves yes. in, in the church? And so it is. It's having that patience to bear with one another, to mm. bear one another's burdens. Mm. Uh, you know, And what I appreciate is that you know my parents never led Bible studies, but when the opportunity was available, they opened their home to host a Bible study. Mm. And even though <laughs> I remember there were times when as, as little kids, my sister and I used to attend the Bible study because my mom worked night duty at the hospital and we would attend the Bible study with my dad when it was at somebody else's house and sleep at his feet for the, you know, just, just fall asleep. But mm. what a wonderful mm. atmosphere to fall asleep in. In fact, I think I slept a lot of the time as a child in church, but I can't I can't imagine a better place to fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> at least it wasn't in a window. <laughs> <laughs> at twelve o'clock at night. <laughs> one broken neck later. 
but so having the church in our home and those uncles and aunts, I mean, I, I remember uh, Uncle Dick Shepherd who would come and he was the leader of the Bible study. And so he would always come a bit early and I mean, he would tickle me on the couch and interact with me. And, you know, he, he was also somebody who I really looked up to in the faith g- growing up. And, uh, you know, j- just having that exposure to the greater body of Christ and to people who are interested in you, people who, who, who know you, who know your face. And who are there to hold you accountable and to help you and to ask these questions? Well, hold you accountable, ask the questions, living in community. Mm. We're going to be talking about discipleship within the context of the family uh, for the next hour. Uh, Right now, we are at 10 o'clock. We are going to listen to a short musical interlude, The Beauty of Holiness by Ernie Amos. So he is joining us via Zoom from Crystal Park Baptist Church. Good to have you on the line as well, brother. Um, friends, if, if you're listening in, I, I have a confession to make. I made a mistake at the beginning of the show. We want you to engage with us. I mean, we really want you to engage with us. We're about to go through some of the folk that have um, have written in. Uh, thank you so much for your conversation starters and for your questions and for your comments. We really appreciate it. Um, the ways that you can do that are Facebook. Um, on Facebook, the profile is Radio Pulpit or Radio Console. Uh, we are available on Facebook. Uh, do watch the stream of comments as they flow through. We are available on Twitter, and the Twitter handle is at 657AM. Uh, I know <laughs> I know it's 657AM because I have, a, I have teenage daughters who just love social media. And so uh, this morning they were asking me, Dad, Dad, what is the Twitter handle? What is the Twitter handle? Because uh, Twitter is really really important to them um, and then I falsely advertised whatsapp and telegram turns out we are on telegram uh, this morning uh, and the number there is 0826572729 what are we talking about and how can you engage drop a comment or ask a question around issues of family devotions uh, and family discipleship which is even a, a broader topic that we're going to be that we're going to start to talk about um, shortly uh, family discipleship I, I want to read one or two of the messages that have come in over the last while um, uh, Debbie Burns writes good morning I just want to say that I love you my brother Michael you're such a great example for everyone that is around you your sister Debbie really cool uh, comment there thanks Debbie love you Debbie <laughs> um, uh, Shalom J um, uh, wrote in and said blessings all a quiver in the times of the Old Testament was full when there were five arrows in it so Michael still has one to go um, and then talks of being a single mother of four uh, 18, 16, 14 and 10 and how does one go about discipleship with teenagers especially boys who need a male figure to submit to and uh uh, signs of Shalom, uh, shalom uh, Jacqueline. Uh, Michael, uh, cover full of arrows, uh, still got uh, one or two to add into your uh, into your cover, brother. Yeah, thanks Jacqueline. Um, I, I didn't mention the fact that I actually do have a fifth child who the Lord saw fit to um, for my wife to bear for 18 weeks, but then uh, took him to himself. 
Um, Tyler was diagnosed with trisomy 18 uh, shortly after we discovered that Stacy was pregnant. And uh, yeah, even that was a, a walk with the three oldest children who were alive then to be able to explain to them, this is the, 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 the diagnosis of what your brother's going to have and how mommy and daddy are going to have to have a lot of time invested in him when he's born. And trying to explain to our little children who, who were yeah, very young at that time, Jonah was five, Misha three, Lizzie two, um, and uh, you know, just talking with them through these things and how God allows for sickness and suffering in the world too to talk to little children about this part of family discipleship um, mm. th- that they wouldn't at all feel neglected in the reality that we would have to invest and yet God in his perfect wisdom saw fit to take Tyler early to himself mm. and uh, you know even, even in that I mean I do I rejoice in the Lord because as a parent and Jacqueline I'm sure you, you struggle with that uh, you know, you, you wonder where your children will be or what they'll be doing when they're not at home. Um, and as I often say, you know, I never have to worry about Tyler anymore. He's he's safe in the arms of the Lord. The the, the Lord in his perfect wisdom knows exactly what, what needs to be done with Tyler. And, and, and I can I can rest in that. He he is good and he is worthy of all trust and, and he will do what is right. And even if I don't, I'm not fully convinced as regards where Tyler will be. I, I know that our God is just and he is holy and he is merciful. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, as, as a parent from early age, I've been proclaiming the gospel to my children when they were in the womb, um, because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 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 not totally sold on the whole age of um, understanding, and I think it's us who do not understand what children do understand. Um, and so yeah, just to con- constantly put the gospel before my children, uh, particularly in, in just not knowing where they are presently. Mm. Um, but trusting that the Lord would use the power of the gospel for the salvation of all people, no matter how young. Um, and so, yeah, it, it has. It's been a blessing to, to be able to have that. So I do have five kids. And as regards to the question of discipleship with teenagers, yeah? Look, um, I mean, as you're talking, I, I remember meeting with you and Stacy uh, after a service on a Sunday. Um, we met at Ibotsi Dam yeah. um, shortly after um uh, shortly after Tyler um, uh, passed away, and I remember the—I mean, yeah, the the the, the, the weightiness of the mm. of the moment, and and how you reflected upon it, and and how you spoke about um, about yourself and Stacy and hurt and pain, mm. um, but how open you had the conversation with your children around you because yeah. we were we were kind of on on blankets it was a i can't remember if we were eating kfc the penrus were there we were probably eating kfc uh that, <laughs> that that remains my favorite um but just how open how openly you had that conversation and um yeah just uh, you know even now as you're talking about it and talking about having those those massive conversations with a, a three-year-old a two-year-old and a uh, or a, a, you know five-year-old and a three-year-old yeah, and, a, and a two-year-old yeah. just just big conversations for little people mm. and yet the responsibility falls upon yourself and Stacy to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and so you had those conversations yeah. um, and I remember that really ministering to me and, and, and also motivating me to 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 be more open uh, with my kids around the bigger things uh, of right. life. The, the sheltering we provide is the fact that we are the ones who are bringing these uh, weighty matters to the knowledge of our children in an understandable manner. You know, Jono was 
three or four years old when he, he ran to the kitchen when we were still living in Peter Marisburg and said to my wife, Mom, I, I, I want a baby brother. And, and Stacy just said to him, well, you know, uh, I, we, we can't give that to you. Only the Lord can, you know, grant that. And uh, she said she still remembered him. He ran over, he ran to the bathroom, which wasn't too far away, and heard him say, "Dear Lord, please will you put a baby brother in mommy's tummy?" <laughs> and it, it was in a couple of months after that that uh, she found out that she was pregnant with Tyler. Yeah. And I mean, it, amazing, you know, when when, when Stacy did miscarry, to just see that you know Tyler was a perfect little boy. Mm. Even at 17, 18 weeks. Yes. I mean, you, you could see his deformity, but you could see his perfect little five hand, five fingers. Yeah. Five toes. Yes. And and you know that he was a boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it was evident. Yes. Um. And and just the miracle of of life. Um. But but the need to be discipling our children, and uh, you know, bringing these matters up in a, a safe, sheltered environment in which we as the parents can be able to engage in this. I think. Uh, I think for many Christian homes, it's what lacks. The, mm. These matters don't get discussed in the Christian home. And we, we, we want to maybe even blame the church for not talking about issues like this. But yet it is the, the, the family that, that should be talking about these matters. Well, look, let, let, let's get back to uh, Jacqueline's back to question. Yes. Um, and I think it's a great question. And it does raise um, uh, this reality. When we are talking about family devotions, we are not just talking about uh, a mommy and a daddy and four kids. Yeah. Or in my case, you know, a husband and a wife and three kids. Or uh, in Tepo's case, a husband and a wife and a kid on the way can't wait Tepo excited with you how, how, how much how much time do we have to go <laughs> and when I say we I, I really mean you and Larat <laughs> make no mistake but I, but I am excited with you I'm experiencing the joy um, how, how much longer three weeks three weeks can you believe it time has flown and yet it's so slow looking forward the th those last three weeks are going to crawl um, but Jacqueline speaks of um, of a mother and, and uh, four children an 18, a 16, a 14 and a 10 year old and really when we talk about families, families come in different shapes and sizes right. um, and we live in a world where you know the, 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 the kind of permutations are, are, are extraordinary I mean we, we really each an in individual listener mm. that's listening in yeah. uh, would have a very specific and unique kind of situation mm. to them and yet we we're talking about discipleship we're talking about community and now we're talking about the smallest building block of community uh, the family um, and so uh, I think that there is going to be something that you can talk about Tepo uh, regarding family discipleship um, between a husband and a wife who don't yet have a child in the home um, and there will be areas that you can bring out in terms of discipleship mm. um, in terms of a family a husband and a wife and four kids in the home yeah. uh, or a growing family yeah. um, you know whether you end up with 10 or, or how, uh, I'm, I'm just kidding brother no <laughs> we've that factory's closed <laughs> <laughs> just draw a line underneath that one account, account closed Brother, when 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 you're talking about family discipleship, what are you what 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 are you talking about? Because you very particularly said, let's go beyond family devotions and let's talk about discipleship in a in a broader in a broader context as a as a broader topic of mm. conversation. Yeah. What, what did you have in mind when you said that that's what you want to talk about? 
So it is the responsibility that we do see in Ephesians 5, uh, or Ephesians 6 rather, and then Colossians uh, 4, uh, for parents to, to train their children in the, in the way of the Lord. And I know the, the primary responsibility does fall on the fathers, but the mother would be there helping and assisting. And yeah, in our in our world and, and in our fallen world, you know, families do come in, in different shapes and sizes and, and manners. And, and it is to recognize God's sovereignty in this so that there's never an excuse for us to say, oh, well, you know, in my situation, I can't do this. Mm. Um, but to take dominion as we were created to do um, in, in those situations and to you know, just trust in the Lord to, to do what we can. But the Lord has given every family a wonderful resource in the local church. Mm. Um, and, and, and the wonderful dyna- dynamic is that even for single parents, you know, in, in your church, surely there would be um, male role models that, that you could look up to uh, and people that you want to surround your, your children with. And whether that is to exercise hospitality and in, in hosting a Bible study and inviting for that man to come and teach, and even if it is just to you know interact with your children, uh, one thing that, that that we do in our church, if I could mention, is uh, um, quite regularly on a Saturday, I, I take uh, some of the boys out to go play some cricket in in one of the fields in, in our community. And it is, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to invest in these boys. And one of them is also, he's from a, a single uh, parent home and just his mom and his sister. And so, you know, really identify as a church that this family needs male role models and the wonderful opportunity that weekly we, we can be able to have that interaction with and, and build those relationships um, in, in that way. But uh, yeah, I mean, you think of the women who followed Jesus and how they are commended in the Gospel of Luke for the hospitality and the care that they showed to, to allow for those men to be in their homes mm. and interact with their children. Now, you know, discretion needs to be exercised in identification of uh, the, the, the appropriate role models. But, uh, you know, even in, t- you know, and, and again, um, to discuss with the children, to, to you know, identify those that they look up to. And, uh, yeah, and, and then again, media gives us a lot of resources in terms of, as Tepo even shared about his friend, you know, come watch these DVDs. You know, wonderful, uh, you know, Paul Tripp, even John MacArthur, you know, just to, to be able to uh, sit and listen to these, uh, the, the, these great preachers of the word. Um, and, and 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 particularly around masculinity and, and just growing and as as, as boys in, in the home, but uh, yeah, Jacqueline, uh, the, the Lord will enable you in this circumstance. He, yes. he knows your circumstance, and I mean the, the testimonies that I've even heard of single moms and and the sterling young men that they've discipled mm. in 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 their home with very limited resources. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord, yes. and uh, He will grant you the wisdom and the opportunities. So, yeah, utilize your local church. Speak to your pastor, um, and uh, even yeah. even in the even in the question, there is um, kind of evidence of you taking spiritual headship of right. your home, and yes. your children are blessed for that. Mm. Um, uh, that you are initiating and thinking through and very intentional in these things. Um, I, d- I do think of just uh, you know a number of testimonies of uh, young men, uh, and when I say young men, I'm talking teenagers from schools like Nordlich and from Crystal Park Primary, uh, Crystal Park High, uh, where, where uh, young men uh, after school would come into Crystal Park Baptist Church and just spend some time uh, with the staff. I think of Olwetu, who'd come in and practice piano, um, you know, in the afternoons and interact with myself or Gideon or myself and, and Tepo. Mm. Um, I think of Menzi Mohale, who's at uh, who's now at Molotsane Baptist Church in Soweto. 
um, he came to faith when he was uh, in in high school, and he would spend he would come around to the church and spend time with myself and Gideon, and we would disciple him and take him through systematic theology because he had a passion for God's word and a passion uh, couldn't exhaust his passion for learning about theology and the things of God, um, and so there certainly are opportunities like that. And then I do. I I must agree with you in terms of Bible studies. Um, my children. Well, it was your testimony that you went to Bible studies and fell asleep at your parents' feet. Mm. Um, I re- I've had the opportunity to take uh, my three children uh, with me to Bible studies, um, as they have asked to go. Um, and and they have asked often to go to Bible studies. It, it's like a it's a joy for them. Uh, our Bible studies generally happen at seven o'clock on weekdays, um, and even you know over the last uh, three weeks, my seventeen-year-old has probably attended about four or five Bible studies together with me as my wife and I have gone to Bible studies uh, Thomas stayed at home last night he begged to go to Bible study we, we said no boy <laughs> you need to go to sleep uh, you need, um, he, he needed to be well prepared uh, for this morning's school yeah. um, but 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 at uh, at times giving opportunity to your children to attend Bible studies where they will be exposed to other believers, other contexts, yes. see how people engage with God's word, listen to wisdom from other sources. Mm. Um, and it's good for them. And that would certainly be one mechanism which could be well utilized in order to expose your teenage boys to male figures uh, and uh, and where they can learn accountability and authority. Mm. Um do want to bring you in here, Tepo, and uh, just in the context of family discipleship, um, yeah, where would you start in terms of a conversation about family dis- discipleship in the context of of a of a home that doesn't have children in it? Often, when we think about discipleship in the context of the family, it's uh, it's parents to children. But but what about husband to wife? What does discipleship look like in those contexts? Okay, um, so obviously there's family devotions um, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind so well every night or during, during the week H- hang on do you have a vacuum cleaner on in the background Tepo <laughs> no <laughs> it's, the, it's the grass being cut is it the grass being cut okay because the, it's it's uh, the, there's a, a sound of a machine constantly in the background we might need to clean up uh, we, we might need to ask you to go and and sit on a different side okay. of the church in order to accommodate that. I, I'm going to bring you in a, a little bit later and, and maybe just talk okay. about discipleship in the context of uh, of our own family um, and, and maybe just talk about something which, which we don't often reflect on. Often when we talk about discipleship in a 21st century context where uh, I've been exposed to it, a lot of, a lot of emphasis gets put on um, a discipler and a disciplee. Um, in, in in some ways, uh, that's not the way that I've experienced discipleship in terms of in terms of my Christian walk. I've dis- I've experienced discipleship where um, one man wanting to move toward the image of Christ comes next to another man who wants to move toward the image of Christ, and together <laughs> they walk a road toward the person of Jesus Christ. And in the context of the family, I've found much the same. I mean, it is true. I offer spiritual headship of my home um, and often spiritual direction in terms of the the relationship, uh, what we do and how we do it. 
but I have found myself so often sharpened by my wife, so often encouraged by her spiritual journey, so often uh, taught by what she is busy learning as she narrates it and explains it to me and, and tells me what she has been exposed to, uh, issues or problems or even content uh, as she's going through it. Uh, I found that the discipleship relationship is always two ways, and that's because I'm not trying to disciple Liesl into the image of Mark <laughs> and she certainly isn't trying to disciple Mark into the image of Liesl both of us are given close proximity to one another so that we might together move toward the image of Jesus Christ and so I um, always have enjoyed that part of the relationship between myself and her um, and and what that means for discipleship and I, and I often have found myself spurred on because as I've looked at her relationship with Jesus, she's running while I'm walking at different times in our marriage. Um, and certainly vice versa. There have been times where I've been running and she's been walking and, you know, God willing, uh, she's been spurred on as she's seen the Lord working in my life. Um, but I always enjoyed that, that, that duality in terms of roles uh, when it comes to the family and how all of us motivate and move one another on. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Tepo, are you are you still with us, my friend? Yes, I am. What's uh, the sound like now? Yeah, it sounds like you're in the bathroom, but <laughs> <laughs> but maybe yeah. T- talk to us in terms of uh, the relationship between husband and wives, and what discipleship looks like uh, in that context. Okay, so we do um, family devotions. So we go through a book in the Bible and discuss that and look at um, what are real-life applications in our context um, that we can draw out from uh, what we've gone through. And yeah, so, so that's perfect for um, family discipleship. Then also, what helps is just like, how's your day? <laughs> because from there can come a whole lot of uh, things that have happened throughout the day and sort of try to see how can we then act in a Christian-like manner, um, and sometimes you find out that our day wasn't, um, it, it wasn't very fine to the Lord because of maybe how we responded, or what we said, what we did, and so there comes a time for um, just correction and exhortation to pleasing the Lord even in that situation if there's perhaps an apology that must be offered to a person who was offended then it's like, oh, but um, you, you have that conversation. Should, do you not think this could have been done better? Not, do you not think this could have been said better? And so, yeah, that's, that's basically discipleship. And what I've also realized that it's, um, it's doing life together. That way you're able to, um, you know, sort of help another person um, be, 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 be shaped in a way that glorifies the Lord. Mm. So, like I said, it's two ways. Um, I find that even in our conversation, that, well, I'll come home and you tell me about Doing life together, I think we might have lost Tepo at the end there, but doing life together is so important when it comes to this discipleship relationship. I, I, I'm actually reminded of uh, the first pastor um, that uh, that I was under at Midrand Chapel. Uh, his name was John French, a godly man, loved Jesus, um, spent a lot of time, a lot of just 
time with me um, and didn't spend a lot of time with me in Bible studies, although we did have Bible studies. I went through you know, Bible training for church leadership with two years underneath him where he transferred systematic theologies. But, but when I'm talking about time and just picking off what Tepo was saying regarding doing life together, um, I remember going out with him and, and moving a house, you know, like lifting up uh, um, uh, um, fridges and putting them on his backy and just, you know, roping everything down. And while we were doing that, just talking about real life and about real life scenarios and situations and how the Bible applied to choosing a home and moving into a home and loving your wife in a home and just living out the Christian life, observing his patience when it was a hot day and we didn't have anything to drink and observing his encouragement when he met with the family and uh, and, and just loved them and showed Jesus to them uh, and just seeing how life happened and how how he just lived out life and how how good that was for discipleship and for mm. discipleship relationships. And I guess you you, so, you don't have anyone better to do that with than your spouse, <laughs> than your yeah. husband or your, your wife. Uh, back to you, Tepo. Yeah. yeah, so I'm saying I'm doing life together. So I often come home now and then my wife would tell me about what she what she learned from Elizabeth's agent. And hey, those are those are also lessons for me. So I, I would ask her, oh please um, share with me. And even there, I get to learn um, from what she's learned. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's 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 actually it's actually I think discipleship as well is like like you said, it's two ways. So it's not so well. It is transferring information or knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but in that is also receiving because um, you like what happens in that in that transferring these things that come up that you would not have um, initially thought of because the conversations always steer in one direction or the other. So it's, it's always beneficial to me in such a relationship. Mm, mm. Um, you know, as, as you were talking, I, I realized it is wise that we talk about this kind of like living together in community, uh, watching each other live out the Christian life, being able to ask questions and, and grow in that mechanism. And, and that requires intentionality because that's mm. not going to happen by accident if yeah. you're looking for discipleship relationships outside of the home. Um, it really does require intentionality. But the advantages are massive. It's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Mm. Knowledge is knowing what the Bible says. Wisdom is knowing how to apply it and wow. knowing the right time and the right place to do that which God has commanded in the right way that he might receive optimum glory as we live out our lives. And that really does happen in those kinds of relationships. But then my mind was also cast back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And just before those famous verses, you know, all scriptures God breathed, we have this 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 picture of Paul reminding a young Timothy that he has known from infancy uh, the sacred scriptures that are able to give him the wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And just how his mother and his grandmother, again, these two maternal relationships, mm. but in the context of a family, um, 
took responsibility and spiritual oversight to ensure that Timothy knew the sacred scriptures and and what an investment that was uh, in this young man and what amazing fruits that came that, that came out of that uh, and and just thinking through discipleship within the family context I do think it's important that we live out our lives in front of our family in ways which honors God and ways which transfers the wisdom of life to the next generation but don't underestimate the importance of God's word to that process mm. uh, you spoke about you know access and and looking at scripture union material even from a young age and what an impact that had for you uh, I certainly was exposed to some of the same material um, growing up um, in a different context but just the importance of of God's word mm. to the family environment and and how God's word is shared any kind of thoughts on that Michael in terms of in terms of how to transfer God's word to your family to your wife to your kids yeah thanks Mark um, m- maybe just to acknowledge a, a failure um, of, of mine when when I got married I was presently studying theology mm. at Baptist Theological College and I remember a mentor of mine at that time saying never leave your wife behind <laughs> You're gaining all this knowledge, never leave your wife behind. And yet I failed early on in our marriage of trying to teach my wife. And yet when she would ask me questions, kind of talking down to her in terms of how do you not know these things? And and I remember how she said, like, you know, I kind of feel like you're treating me like a child. And and I had to, you know, just repent of of my attitude with which I was going about our family devotions early on in our family lives. And and it has. I mean, it's been a shaping. I mean, I I, I then I failed as a, as a father when um, I, I, I overloaded my, my kids early. I mean, I often get commented whenever I visit a church on holiday, or um, you know, even at, at our own church, people say like, "Oh, your your children can really sit uh, through a sermon and and sit through church." You know, my kids are always active and those kind of things. And I just remember those early days where I did. I just overloaded family devotions and. And Stacey and I made an early decision that we would keep the dining room table clean so that we could enjoy meals and times of fellowship together so that every meal was an opportunity to be able to have some some uh, time in God's word as well, mm. that we nourished our souls as much as we nourished our bodies. Yes. Um, and But yeah, I did realize that uh, early on I overloaded. I, I went eager beaver um, <laughs> in, into this. And and my children did. They learned to sit still, but uh, they learned to you know allow for things to just float over their heads. Mm. Where then you know f- from having people over in our home and staying with us and and being exposed to this as well, you know that they, they also sharpened us in terms of uh, what would be more appropriate for them and being exposed to great material like we do have. Um, I've got here with me uh, Brian Stone's "Teach Your Family the Truth" and how wonderful it is to not just know Brian, but to know mm. his children and you're serving yes. the Lord. Um, and just what a wonderful resource this has been for us, where it's got a catechism and Bible reading with it, with a song, which is always wonderful to be able to sing together. I think that's also pivotal to family devotions, um, singing together as a family. So, well, hang on, wait a minute. You're not the first father and head of home who's spoken to me about singing together. I've yeah. got a I've got a really good friend, Sean Green, hmm. uh, who is um, uh, d- 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 kind of in a in a really reformed background. Okay. Um and his family sings the Psalms together sure. um around the dinner table. They they sing via metric um and they they sing through the Psalter. Um talk to me a little bit about what singing might look like in your context. I mean w- what are you guys singing? 
hymns, uh, yeah. ma- mainly hymns. Um, yeah, Christmas time is a joy to the world. It's like the the children's favorite hymns. So it's like sung almost every day. It's going to be an earwig in my ear for the next two weeks. So <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I love it. So yeah, my my kids and naturally like children, they, they always have like you know their favorite songs that they want to sing over and over and over again. But yeah, again, I, I appreciate. I remember growing up in church, sitting in front of my dad, and my dad would just sing his lungs out, and still does in yes. in, in church. And then in front of us was Uncle Jan van Vuren, and he was a brilliant singer. Often sang solos for the church, and I just found that I could just carry my voice that was so horrible, <laughs> and try and sing the hymns as best I could. Although it was more like just the last line of every or the last word of every line. Uh, but yeah, just uh, you know, again, it's that family heritage that now, in whatever church I'm in, often people have said like, you know, we're really blessed that we can kind of be carried along by your singing. <laughs> but 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 it did. It yeah. came from just exposures to family, and so yeah, we we sing the old hymns. We we sing some of the the, the, the more modern choruses. We have the, um, the 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 missions praise, yeah, and great hymns of faith, Baptist hymnal. So yeah, so we've got all of those at home. So I want to I want to just be very very um, applicable to mm. anybody that might be listening and might be thinking well you know what in our family devotions I have a voice I'd like to sing with my kids um, but I have no clue where to start like where would someone if they actually are, uh, look the parents are probably not going to be singing around the dinner table that is not our style uh, we might listen to a little bit of uh, praise and worship in the background my, my wife loves to find stuff on YouTube and play it to us from time to time um, but but I do know that for many um, singing actually becomes a, a, a part of family devotions that they love where can they find the kinds of hymns that might be appropriate to sing around a dinner table uh, yeah, uh, I think of Augustine Bookram, um, Good Neighbors. They have hymn books. You can even ask your church because hymn books have kind of gone out of fashion, but they're somewhere in a store closet that uh, you might be able to ask your church for one of their hymn books. Um, and and then also, I mean, even just for for preparations for for sermons, often I think it's hymnary dot com. Um, yes, it even gives you the the, um, the tune to be able to sing along with and. Mm. Yeah, don't be put off by the fact that you might not have the best singing voice. Scripture says make a joyful noise, you know, a reverent joyful noise yes. before the Lord. Um, and, and it is wonderful. And, and even during lockdown, I've, I've wondered at what testimony it is when our house thunders with hymn singing mm. in the mornings. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, where I do want to encourage hymns to be sung is I, I do. I think that we are missing out on creating a generation of musicians, mm. um, musicians that were important the whole way through scripture in both yeah. the Old Testament and the New Testament we, we see this emphasis on hymnology uh, I was looking at uh, 2 Timothy uh, last night with uh, Jeff Gage during mm. Bible training for church leaders and uh, in 2 Timothy I'm fairly certain it was uh, chapter 2 um, there is a great hymn at the end of the chapter as Paul just breaks out into praise. Uh, we see hymns in the New Testament. We see an entire book of hymns in the Old Testament, the, the Psalms. Um, we, we need a generation of musicians that can carry the congregation um, as we sing praises to our Lord and our Savior. And one of the ways in his providence that he might raise up the musicians of our generation is in family devotions mm. as uh, as families come around and, mm. and sing God's praise. Mm. And so that is one way of being devoted and of discipling 
uh, our children. Yeah, very interesting. We do. We see the importance of getting our children to eat their vegetables, and so it is important that at the table we also do encourage them to uh, know the truth of God's word. Yeah, and, and and to even sing if they don't like it. <laughs> I want to I want to pick on something else very practical that you said. Hmm. You said that you had a cleared dining room table, right, so yes. that you could get together to eat um, as well as hmm. to. Um, share God's word, and, and that's one thing I, I really want to honor in my in my own wife is yeah. just the the space that has been created so that we can always sit together and have meals together. Um, and the uh, window to the world, the TV off. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 maybe let me just say that uh, a clean table is a relative statement. Sometimes yeah. the table is clean literally mm. two minutes before the food gets put down. Um, but it is cleaned often by little hands whose responsibility it has been made mm. to do that um and and a space um and not just a clean space but also a time you yeah. know for for our family uh, I often have bible studies that start at seven o'clock in the evening, and so for our family, our time to eat is six o'clock it mm. is set in stone yeah, nothing changes it um the only time that 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 we might make an exception is on a Friday if the kids have youth that they want to go to and youth starts a, a, a little bit earlier mm. um then then we will eat a little bit earlier but but the reality is we will still sit down. Um, something that Teppo said earlier, and, and Teppo, I love that, that you talk about your day uh, with Loratu, that you talk about um, how, what went on in your day. Uh, I sit with my daughters and my son, and each person gets the opportunity to say what their high of the day is and what their low of the day is. Yeah. And even when you are a teenager, a one-word answer is not acceptable. Hmm. <laughs> There's no such thing as fine or good yeah, or good. bad. No, I want the story. I yes. want to know who you played with. I want to know their names. I want to know, you know, like what subjects were wonderful and what subjects you really struggled in. I want to know why you didn't get a homework badge or sticker and hmm. what were the, what were the, like, tell us the story of your day because this is the family and we're interested and we live our lives together even when we're separate we we have an interest in these things now in order to get that right you described it as a clean table uh, i describe it as a kind of a clean calendar there right. is a there is a time in my day which mm. is sacrosanct uh, mm. I, I wouldn't give it up for anything and um, it is the family time and it's an opportunity for us mm. to share with one another for us to be discipled by one another uh, and for us to in our case pray mm. um, and eat and enjoy one another's company right and learn how to socialize so mm. even like no no cell phones or tablets at the table mm. yes um, which this is time easy. to talk to one uh, another you, yeah. don't, you, yeah. don't, you don't have teenagers yet brother wait until you have teenagers it is not easy to enforce some of the rules that are required in for in order for socialization to happen yes. and yet it is so so important and I appreciate what you also said I mean as the children grow older that you give them the opportunities to serve so i mean you know as our children have gotten older they help mm. with setting the table um you know even my two oldest have started making coffee and tea in the mornings so yeah it's just wonderful and you know sometimes i've been guilty of uh, kind of taking on too much service rather to free up other people and yet um uh the uh you know in giving people an opportunity to serve they are then uh, you know, just feel that sense of actually, I have something to contribute, yes. like, and, and my contribution is valuable. Well, let so. me let me bring in uh, Benny Mayer 
on Facebook said, I believe that we should always try and get the teenagers to surf. Like outreaches and church projects, even as an adult, I do this with my fiance because it reminds us to love each other and to do things in love. It also helps to surround yourself and your family with uh, people with positive influences. Thank you for that comment, Benny. Mm. Very, very true um, in terms of how we engage as a family and how we serve and the opportunities that we make available to our children. Um, I do. I, th- I think extramural activities at school are important. Sport is important. We yeah. want to grow right. our boys up to be boys and to understand how Definitely, and on that point, I mean, I do believe that if if we had more Christian sportsmen who who would, you know, prioritize the gathering of the saints, you Mm. know, we might see sport move back to Saturdays Mm. rather than Mm. played on Sundays. (laughs) Sure. You know, I I really want to encourage that involvement. Yes. But, I mean, I appreciate even what Paul Tripp said about how he had many fights with baseball coaches because my child's not going to go to church wearing a baseball uniform prioritizing baseball on a Sunday mm, but mm. they'll be late for baseball because they're going to gather with the saints mm. um, and, and, and teaching them from an early age what yes. are the more important uh, dynamics and, and not getting caught up in just the, the, the way the, the socially acceptable uh, things of this world I'm just thinking of uh, when I was a kid and just the joy of being involved in the church, in the church community. We were first at a a church called St. Hugh's, which had um, an incredible social life and, you know, pancake evenings and fates. And there was always stuff to do. And I, I remember doing that alongside my parents, you know, being at those functions or being given responsibilities at age appropriate times um for certain things mm. and, and 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 certainly enjoyed uh, going out on um mission trips or being exposed to ministry related things as a child and that certainly had an influence on me as an adult as i as i grew in, into into a, a a believer in my early 20s i had some idea of what church life would look like mm. what church life needed to look like um uh, tip or just on this on this issue of when people meet um you know we've spoken about about families uh with lots of kids or with a growing gaggle of children um and how often that happens around the dinner table now, how do things happen when you are in the context of of just a husband and a wife that was so long ago for me i can hardly remember it <laughs> yeah so so i come home um most of the time it's about at seven o'clock. And then yeah, from there, well she'll call me while I'm on the way just to know if she can set the table. And then yeah, and then we have supper together and that's where we'll have a chat. And then right after that we do our devotions. So yeah, it's 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 pretty much what it what what happens during the week. Um so obviously we have Bible study during the week as well. So we sit through those Bible studies uh, from church, um, and then we we would then listen together and yeah, and have discussions in the background while we in that Bible study present online. Yeah, that, yeah, just uh, the this idea of of having a life. If I'm listening to you correctly, a, a life which 
which was which revolves around things. Uh, you've spoken about sport, and you've spoken about Paul Tripp, Michael, hmm. um, and and how often our, our lives revolve around extramural activities. Right. Um, but now listening to Tepo and and recognizing in both your testimony and in our family's testimony, our, our lives really do revolve around church and around the things of church. And that doesn't mean that they aren't additional things you know yeah. my my daughters both enjoy drama singing and dancing and are in ravi um you know this kind of a dance extravaganza stuff that is a school extra extramural activity and before that they they loved our steadfords you know and prepping for um speeches and poems and those kinds of things that that was the way that they are are structured my my son at seven uh, wants to grow up to be a South African rugby player, and so he loves rugby. It doesn't mean that you that you got to squeeze all these other things out of one's life. No, we we want to be whole people. Right. You know, we want to glorify God as we eat ice creams and play rugby and and dance and sing and enjoy life. But at the same time, our lives, the center of our lives. Is Jesus Christ and so the center of our lives surely rotate and revolve around the things that Jesus loves the things that are in Jesus's heart that he has affections for mm. those naturally if we love Jesus become our heart our affections our longings our desires um, and so it doesn't surprise us that Jesus is at the center of our dinner table he's at the center of our free time he's at the center of much of what we do because yeah. he is the center of our lives mm. Mm. You know? Absolutely. Tepo, um, as we're talking about family dis- discipleship and discipleship within the home, any closing thoughts, brother, that you'd like us to to consider as we close out the hour? Yeah, so I think I, think I can't remember what Michael said exactly about sport. Um, so I actually listened to somebody, uh, oh, I'm not going to say his name now, the show. But I listened to somebody talk about um, how sports is able to cultivate certain responsibilities in a child's life. Um, so, for instance, timekeeping or um, teamwork. So, so those those are things that a child can grow up learning, which are beneficial. Um, but um, also, we we need to we need to also be um, well keeping check that. This doesn't interfere with their serving of the Lord, like we heard about um, matches that happened on Sunday. So all of these things need to be clear in the child's mind as we disciple them to love the Lord Jesus, that Christ comes first. And all these other things can happen for as long as they aren't happening at the time of serving Christ. Um, and in this case, it's worshiping with God's people on the first day of the week. So yeah, um, yeah, we, we 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 need to always make sure that these are aspects or these are things that we are teaching our kids. And yeah, um, Michael, uh, I. I I just see a comment that uh, I received from Penny, and uh, I do want to re- read it because I, I think that it, it does also some talk to to a problem that sometimes we experience uh, in these circles. Uh, she she talks about growing up in a very close church community, 
seven or eight families who were really tight and spent hours at each other's homes. And now some 30 years or so later, um, talks of other Christian friends who felt excluded because they were never invited to these uh, mm. group home visits. And uh, maybe just to, just to say that... Um, and it was a common thread that started off even at the beginning of nine o'clock this morning. That this evangelistic zeal that Christians have is one of not creating closed communities that exclude everyone else, but rather one which creates loving communities which embrace others um, and draws others in. The the idea of you know Bible studies which are um, groups of people and no one else is ever invited and and everyone else feels excluded from um, sometimes can create very very unhelpful and unhealthy examples mm. to a watching world um, you know even when it comes to our small groups we really do need to have some evangelistic zeal and mm. desire to grow and sometimes multiply mm. um, uh, that God might be glorified um, great observation Penny um, yeah, in absolutely. terms of that doing life together in community uh, in a Christian context needs to also have some elements of vibrancy and growth and invitational hospitable spirits yes. uh, in the communities that we are talking about yes. Michael uh, closing thoughts and comments as we close out the hour yeah to, to back up what Tepo said there 1 Timothy 4 verse 8 you know physical exercises of limited benefit but godliness has benefit both of this life and the life to come mm. and in the same way physical exercise and physical food and the need for um, our spiritual diet um, in those things too yeah I just want to encourage parents I mean talking about discipleship starting with children I remember the, the day my children were born and even the testimony of the nurses at the hospital when they went to go and check on my wife after she had had her cesareans and just saying like oh wow your your husband is there reading Proverbs 31 to your daughter mm. on, on like a couple of hours old yeah. or, or reading Proverbs 3 to my little boy uh, yeah. you know a couple of hours old uh, you know to, to, to yeah, train up your children the way they should go and, and, and start by, by just reading through the Bible mm. um, and systematically reading through God's word uh, what a benefit it was just even yesterday looking at Genesis 15 verse 6 and uh, with my two oldest children and how Abraham believed God and this was credited to him as righteousness and just explaining to them you know it wasn't anything that Abraham did that made him acceptable in the eyes of the Lord just that he trusted in what God could do when he was unable to do it and so as parents it is it's for us to trust in what God can do and therefore to take him at his word and to impart his word to our children and to all that we come into contact with mm. yeah. uh, you quoted a John Piper quote right at the beginning of the show mm. the idea that sanctification is a community project uh, that we grow in Christ-likeness together. Mm. And maybe just to extend that, just this real belief that the family is the building block of yes. any community. It's the building block of our churches. It uh, it, it is a, a, a fundamental building block of society in general, of, of the sphere of the state is made up of these smaller blocks of families. And just the, the critical importance that if we as believers are to disciple anyone surely that kind of charity that joyful proclamation of the gospel needs to start at home and Amen. so just encouraging um, uh, fathers to take that role 
uh, seriously as you impart God's word, uh, instruction and discipline to your children. Uh, for mothers who have that role on them because they are the spiritual heads of their homes, um, uh, to take that as seriously as you possibly can, to mm. commit your children, uh, your spouses to prayer, um, and to grow as far as you are able, um, mm. your the generation entrusted to you up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, mm. uh, and then uh, to children, uh, for those of you who have got the opportunity to be in a household where there are believing parents, to recognise the privilege that you ha- have been given, mm. uh, and to not squander the opportunity of coming under the instruction uh, of God's word. And where you don't have believing parents, to strain yourself to find material uh, which can encourage you that you might be devoted to Christ and might demonstrate your devotion to Christ. Um, uh, Wonderful opportunities are there. We've spoken about some material that is available to children. Um, Can I say one thing? Yeah, sure, shoot. Just in terms of Titus 2, just for older men and women to be aware in the church when those younger men and women come in who don't have these examples and to seize upon the opportunity to share the gospel with them and to enter into discipleship relationships with them. Mm. I mean, this was Paul's advice to Titus. This is what needs to happen in the church. Older women, you need to be aware of younger women to Mm. train them in the way they should go as women and older men aware of younger men of how we can disciple them. Well, that uh, that does bring us to the end of uh, this morning's show. Really lovely to interact with those of you who have sent in questions and comments. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Teppel, for uh, interacting in terms of yourself and Lorato's experience in terms of family devotions. Michael, lovely to have you with us on the show. Thank you so much for uh, spending the last hour, uh, two hours with us um, and discussing family devotions. Our, our prayers at this stage really do go out to the elders and to the deacons who hold the line in local churches and to our missionaries serving in foreign fields. Mm. We also want to remember and pray and give much respect to first responders, uh, police, firefighters, paramedics and correctional service officers serving in our nation. You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark. We are going to go to the news shortly before that. There will be a musical interlude. So until next week, Friday, go with God and get after it.